God, yeah, doing these podcasts, Amanda. Oh, some funny things happened. I, I invited someone to come on my podcast. And right at the last minute, they said, your link's not working. I went, really? Okay, I'll, I can send you a Zoom link. And then they were like, no, 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 we've got your link. We've just emailed it to you. I was like, bloody hell, that was fast. So I clicked this link and I get on it and there's ticker tapes and everything. And it was someone else's show. It's his show. And he started chatting. Oh, but it wasn't talking to me. He was talking to an audience. And after five minutes, I said, whoa, whoa, oh. whoa, 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 whoa. Stop, 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 stop. I said, it says it's live, live streaming. Who, who's, who are we live streaming to? And he goes, my Facebook followers. <laughs> and I was like, Dude, I thought this was me inviting you on my podcast, not you inviting me on your live stream. <laughs> he goes, yeah, well, I thought you knew that. And I was like, no, I didn't. I'm sorry. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> so I left. Oh, wow. I thank so, God for Fabian. He's my, he's my support <laughs> in that. So I don't end up in those situations. <laughs> now, Fabian's very organized. I have to admit, you, you've got a good one there. I have no Fabian. I'm just a one-man band. It's just me, unfortunately. There's no one else. I yeah. do everything. No, it's, it's, it's too much. I was doing the everything for quite some time. And then <laughs> I met him and I knew I needed a personal assistant. I actually probably need two. I would need like an in-person because he lives in Switzerland. So I would need someone here um, to do like personal stuff. And he does all the virtual bookings and everything. So, but he does oh, everything. Wow. He does so much. It's, it's yeah. He, he like builds, helps build the courses. So I'll like write a, I'll write a protocol or course and then he'll go into yeah. the back end of the website and he'll build the course in uh, and then it goes to an editing team. And then it comes full circle back to me to do whatever touch-ups, that kind of thing. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes. That's pretty cool. Even with the time difference, it can work. That's incredible. Because you're, are you not at West Coast somewhere, Pacific? East Coast, Canada. Oh, East Coast, Canada. Canada, you're in Canada. Holy moly. Yes, I know. That's a, that's a kind of scary place now. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, wow. Look how things change. I live when in I was forest. a kid. I'm okay. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I met a lot of people from Canada, and the way they painted the picture, I was up in bleak, wet Scotland. Canada just sounded the place to be. It felt, it was like America, but cooler. But um, now it just okay. sounds like yeah, China. Okay. Chinada. It's China. It's Chinada, especially Ontario is the worst. I'm in Ontario. It's the worst province of all of them. It, and actually, this region of Canada almost looks identical to Scotland. So there's a lot mm. of similarities in the, the boreal forest, you know, the, the moisture levels. Yes. <laughs> um, the humidity. Yeah. Do you have midges as well? Um, Mid midges are like Mid these, what? Midges, oh, midges yeah, are yeah, these yeah. tiny <laughs> flies. And they bite like crazy. And, they, and oh my God, they're just everywhere. Midges are in Scotland. These tiny little flies that bite you. They kill you alive. They eat you alive. Well, we, the midges we have aren't too, too bad like that. The, we have like phases. So in the spring, we get the black flies and they'll eat you raw. And then after the black fly season dies off, then the mosquitoes, the first wave of mosquitoes comes and they'll eat you raw. And then they're, and then they're working on their next, you know, 
baby, all the babies. And then at that time, the horse flies and deer flies come out and they literally will take a chunk out of your skin. Uh, oh. So those I hate the most. And, and then, so you have really two nice, perfect times of year, early spring before the black flies. And right now in autumn, when everything's dead and you're still getting nice weather, otherwise it's bug season and winter. That's, that's what you get. <laughs> and a little in between. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good thing you still have bugs. You know, I talk about the fact that when I go for a long drive now, you know, I visit my in-laws down Cornwall. I'm shocked that there's no bugs on the car. Like when we used to drive from Scotland down to England oh, yeah. to visit my, you know, family, our cars in the 80s and 90s, I'm kind of old, I'm 48. So, you know, in the 80s, you know, as a kid, I remember like having a carpet of flies and bugs at, in the front of the car. I don't see that mm-hmm. anymore. And people say oh, it's all aerodynamic mm-hmm. and everything. I don't believe that. There's no bugs. I don't where do all the bugs right, come. Uh, yeah. Yeah, glyphosate. Glyphosate will kill your bugs. Um, all the pesticides and, and chemicals that are used, the little things go quickly. And I notice a decline in our bird population, our frog population. Mm. I hardly heard the peepers. Usually in the spring when they start coming back out of the mud, it's like they're screaming loud. I mean, the the sound of the peepers of these frogs are just crazy loud like you have to almost plug your ears and now it's it's you're like listening for it to see if there's anything alive so they're really going at it hard it's really sad it's like you know you have these dystopian sci-fi movies where in the future everything's dead and the planet is sterile i feel like we're doing that we're marching towards that we're killing the planet well, they're marching us, like they're marching us toward it. We're yeah, not yeah. doing it directly. You know, yes. they're doing this like, let's save it. But then actually we're not, we're doing the opposite because they can't create their world without all these crises and they can't save us unless there's a crisis. And so they manufacture the crisis and then mm. they're like, we got the solution for you guys. So it's all, you know, Hegelian dialectic basically. Hundred percent. I'm with you, Amanda. What I find hilarious is that the very people that create all the disasters and all the problems, the people that rape the the soil, you know, deplete the nutrition, dig up the big mines, you know, create all the the damage to the planet. And because I do believe we are, you know, t- you know, poisoning the land and the and the water and the sea. I do not subscribe to climate change. Um, but um, man-made climate change. But I, I do subscribe to the fact that mm-hmm. corporations and individuals are raping the land and treating it in a hor- horrible fashion. But the funny thing is, those very same people who are exploiting and raping the land and poisoning the water and the sea and the air, they then blame us. <laughs> they go, "It's your fault. Mm-hmm. You're causing them this. You're mm-hmm. you're killing the planet." And you're like. Screw mm-hmm. you. No, no, I'm not. My, <laughs> no one is killing the planet except you guys. And, and they're, they're totally like dumping it all on us, which is like totally unfair and BS. Well, it's cluster B, it's cluster B personality <laughs> disorder. <laughs> they all have this, right? So, I mean, they're going to, this is like in the MO of a narcissist. You look good. You have to yeah. look like a philanthropist or a savior of some sort or somebody really good in the public eye. In the background, you like being <clears throat> your wife and stuff. And then yes. um, make sure that nobody finds out that you're a maniac, right? You hide the real self. And then when something goes wrong or anything goes wrong, you, you, you deflect, you say, it's not, wasn't me. You, those are classic narcissism traits. So, I mean, this is how they're operating. You know, um, it's funny. You should use that example. Um, someone recently told me about 
the fact that they um, were in a club doing security and they came across a room where a man was beating up his wife. And he went and quickly mm. told management and management said, you can't, you can't say anything. Turn a blind eye. You never saw a thing. And that same guy then told me a few years later, I saw him on TV and he was a politician. He was an MP and he was chair mm -hmm. of the domestic abuse panel. And he goes, I could not believe it. The same guy that was beating up his wife was cheering and talking about how important it is to deal with domestic abuse. Isn't that, and this is exactly what you've just said, you know, the very people that are doing this, you know, then do the whole virtue signaling and, oh no, yeah, we need to do this. We need to save the planet. Uh, saving the planet typically involves us paying more tax. Surprise, surprise. It involves mm -hmm. enriching them. Surprise, yeah, surprise. Um, funny that, hey? Mm -hmm. Anyway. Can I ask you something? Yeah. Why why is it called Yum Naturals? <laughs> uh, it's a brand. It's it, you know, I kind of almost go. It was like just a branding sort of thing that happened because uh, I my initial foray into like after I graduated was all focused on mum and baby, and so I created Yummy Mummy Emporium and Apothecary, and it was my store, and I would have the community come and they, they would all have their babies and I had a little playroom and moms could relax and they could breastfeed there and change their diapers and just have a community sense. And then I would teach them about the dangers of vaccines, how to actually help your child, you know, be, have a natural birth, have a natural, you know, um, like, you know, I, I have lots of pregnant moms in there and teach them how to not poison their kids basically and how to do things holistically, naturally. So they're not in fear. And so that's just the name I had. And then once I moved forward out of as much baby stuff, cause I had had a baby at the same time. So it just was all working. Um, and then I sort of rebranded to yum naturals because I wanted to still keep the some of it, some of the branding that I'd worked on for, you know, like eight years um, going forward. So then it just became that and yummy dot doctor. And also my, my word for like the yummy mummy or in my definition of what is a yummy mummy is a, an aware mother who is mm. awake and uh, really truly protects her children from you know, the dark forces and is like a crunchy mom, a mom who <laughs> she knows the, the, what the industry is like and she stays away from it and she works with natural remedies and, um, is connected to God and is not afraid to speak out and be courageous against, you know, tyranny and that sort of stuff. So I was kind of trying to redefine the name of that and that's where I, it came from. I love that. And how, what, what time frame are we talking about? When was this? Uh, well, uh, it was about 2012 when I finally was able to acquire the property and begin to open the store. So 2011, I moved up north pregnant and had a baby in like an old hunt cabin. <laughs> and awesome. uh, it was a home birth and a water birth. Yeah. And then found this property in this little small town I moved up to and just got to work uh, right away. And then... And met my business partner about four or five years ago now, maybe four years, maybe five years, actually. Jeez, time flies. And uh, he's like, I'm going to help you with your website. I'm going to help you with this stuff. So then it was just it was like the people just started coming and and uh, the rest so is history. Well, then the COVID Olympics happened, <laughs> you know. That whole thing. <laughs> I've not so, heard of but... COVID Olympics before. That's nice. I like that. <laughs> 
yeah, you know, me too. Um, it's my favorite. <laughs> uh, you 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 hit off with two big topics there. One was a natural childbirth, and one was with the vaccines. And well done you for being champions of both of those. And um, one of the first podcasts I did was with someone called Nikita Stark here in the UK, who is all about natural childbirth and and warning mothers of the over-medicalization of childbirth and not saying, you know, do this and far from it, because that would be no different from the medical system. It's about just informing and empowering women and mothers so that they're better um, prepared and more knowledgeable. My wife gave birth to two of our children at home and it was a beautiful experience. And I I think it's really sad that um, actually the vast majority of childbirths are not at home. It's almost made out to be this dangerous, reckless thing to do. But actually, it's such a beautiful thing to do, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I studied the farm midwife data. Um, that's uh, under Inamay Gaskin. She's out of Texas. And they their necessity for emergency services was less than 1%, <clears throat> excuse me, was less than 1% of all of their births. We're talking thousands and thousands of home births here. Mm. So with just essential, essential knowledge, right? Like if the mother is having... Um, issues, you have to have knowledge on what's happening so that you don't just react in fear. But the preparation for a a peaceful birth is also part of the story. You don't just go to obstetricians and then, you know, get threatened with all these scary things because that puts the mother into fear all the way through her pregnancy. Uh, Even even the midwives, like um, when I got pregnant, I was never going to go to conventional doctor, but um, the midwives, I, you know, I hired one of them, uh, which they actually offer for free in Ontario, which was a blessing. And they, and she was very medicalized as well. And a lot mm. of fear and a lot of Doppler and ultrasound and wanting to do more and more testing. And, and I said, I don't need any of this. I feel well, I know my body. Mm. Um, and this is just, they're just trying to push a lot of scary stuff, even downs. Like, like they were saying that because I was 46 when, uh, sorry, 36, pardon me, 36 when I got pregnant. So I was 37 giving birth. And at that age, they were telling me, oh, you're really old. So that means, you know, you're probably going to have a high uh, predisposition for a down baby. So we should check. And I was like, what? <laughs> Where's the stats? Mm. And then I go to a cardiologist because they, for a follow up uh, ultrasound, because I had a single umbilical artery, which actually is a normal variation, but they use it to freak people out about it. Mm. And they, he's like, what? Why are you here? You don't have any risk factors. And anyway, the majority of Down syndrome babies that he sees in his office are between pre- early pregnancies, like late teens pregnancies or early 20s. That's the majority. So I'm mm. not a risk factor for it statistically. So the whole industry has gotten into this really um, more about liability, protect, trying to protect from liability yes. and the fear around that rather yeah. than doing the right thing, which ironically would protect you naturally from liability because you would be supporting the mechanisms of the body, which would you know prevent a lot of the problems that meddling and poking and prodding do cause. So they're just, hopefully they learn one day. I think so. Education and, and, and hopefully empowering women. I think it starts not with the actual doctors, but actually empowering and educating women so that they're better informed and totally understand. Because the key thing is, like you said, it's the fear. 
And I think a lot of people don't understand the impact that fear has um, on the physiology and the cortisol stress levels and how that totally goes against what your body is actually trying to do when you're trying to give birth. But yeah, no, I'm really glad that That's right. you talk about that because, uh, like I said, having, you know, had two home births and seen the beauty of it, you know, I think um, more people should understand. And I've actually had people reach out to me subsequent to that podcast and crying, actually, talking about how they're still suffering from the trauma of, you know, cesarean sections and the over-medicalization of that childbirth. And they felt they felt robbed of choice. They felt robbed of their dignity. And that's, I think that's really sad. It's something that you don't really hear about. It's not talked about. But clearly thousands of women do go through it. And yeah, people need to be more aware. So that yeah. thing you talked about was your vaccines. <clears throat> when, when did you become aware that something wasn't quite right with these vaccines? Uh, I was in university. Well, I knew really early on because I had my own... Um, like I would say the very, very first experience was watching my brother being chased around the doctor's office with the MMR vaccine uh, mm. by the doctor. And mm. my instinct at the time was he's trying to protect himself. It's not a fear thing. This is something wrong. There's something wrong here. And so it was like sort of like my first little, you know, imprint that this is not, there's something wrong with, with these vaccines. Okay. Cause you don't chase a child around and force a child and do this kind of stuff. It's just something wrong about that whole energy. A, hel- a healthy child. And then well. later on a healthy child. And, and then, so I was very close with my brother. Um, at this age, he was probably maybe in five, maybe he was four. Um, and after the, the shot, his behavior changed, uh, remarkably. Uh, and he became violent and angry and would steal stuff from me. And uh, just his behavior completely changed. And I made that correlation. Now it wasn't really in the mind to go through the thought forms or have the knowledge Mm. at that point. So it just kind of parked for me. And then later I witnessed all my grandparents being sort of like ritually murdered by the industry as well. And I saw their failures one after another, witnessing them and going through that trauma. And I just had a distrust for any of their offerings at that stage. Plus I had started reading books about herbal medicine and natural medicine. And I was very curious about it. And I, I knew there were other options. I already knew that there were different ways you could treat cancer. There are different ways you could treat diabetes, heart disease, all these big things. And, and I was angry. I was angry and I felt, um, they, they lied. You know, they said that if you do these things, you will be fine. You will be safe. You will live. And that was basically the opposite of what they delivered on. So then later I was going to be a veterinarian. I was interested in animal medicine. And I started studying um, homeopathy for animals through the British Institute of Homeopathy. And Mm. I think it was around that time um, where I was really, it was really anchoring for me that any of these shots and biologicals were not um, necessary. And in fact, the opposite, they, they were probably even designed to be harmful um, and to control, you know, human populations rather than being some sort of life-saving medicine. But it was painted as that, as the guys, like here, it's the same thing we just said about the narcissism. Here's this wonderful, new, beautiful thing, right? Like what Bill Gates is doing. It's for your health. It's for your safety. It's for your wellness. 
but it's the opposite. And so I really started piecing that together probably at the end of university through my uh, later training when I was living in Edmonton, Alberta. Um, and I worked for uh, a really amazing naturopathic doctor and veterinarian and um, tra- um, traditional Chinese medicine practitioner. So he had all three of those degrees. Um, and he told taught me about the power of herbal medicine and acupuncture and this sort of um, knowledge. But, you know, vaccines had no place in that in those models whatsoever. Even the the way of thinking about the body is completely different. And you don't need to it's not like a war analogy where the world is scary and it's going to hurt you sort of idea. It's the other way. It's like you're yeah. the inside of you is what protects you, you know? And so that terrain thinking, that kind of thinking sort of was born around that time. And uh, I've never ha- took another vaccine probably. I think my last one, I was in my late teens and then I just never did any of them again. That's a great answer. I love, I love the fact that you gave me that story. And that's why I love asking questions because, um, you know, you, you really have explained a lot about your past and I'm sorry about what happened to your brother and equally, I'm very sorry to hear about what happened to your grandparents. Um, I think, and that's the thing I've realized that everybody that's in that health kind of movement now and alternative scene, we all have our own stories and we all have our own journeys. And it's, and it's interesting to know because in some respects, we kind of get labeled, oh, you're a quack and you're just a crazy person. But it's not. Um, our journeys start from, you know, certain moments in time, which are really, really sensible and reasonable. I have got a very traditional medical background. Don't hold that against me, Amanda. Um, I'm an orthopod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please forgive me for that. And um you know, I, I've been on, I'm on my own journey and I feel like a toddler. I feel like a toddler in that journey. You know, you're a few, you're quite a few steps ahead of me. So I'm still stumbling around. You know, my balance is not great. I'm trying to figure out stuff. You know, I'm trying to unlearn a lot of the things that I was taught, which I'm now beginning to realize are not true. And that in itself is quite a scary, but liberating experience. Um, and, um, but it does put you, at loggerheads with the traditional medical profession you probably don't know this but i'm i'm under a little bit of pickle at my own <clears throat> place of work um i've actually just been suspended last week from my main hospital so there goes the vast majority of my income overnight just a just a wee bit stressful um but you know, my journey started when my dad was diagnosed with cancer and, and he told me to turn my life around. He said, you're fat, overweight, you don't sleep, you look like shit. And to be honest, he was correct about everything. And being from Glasgow, he was very to the point, said it as it is. And, you know, I was, I was overweight. I was type 2 diabetic, had a fatty liver, hypertension, and I had to listen to him. I had to turn things around. And in doing so, Oh God, I started learning so much. So you mentioned a herbalist and herbal medicine. I just had Barbara Wilkinson on from the British Herbal Society and it was such an amazing podcast, you know, and she's going to be coming back in a, in a couple of months time to talk about some specific herbal treatments. She also sent me some medicine when I was recently unwell, which helped. I've also got a homeopath coming on um, as well as an, a, a veterinary a natural veterinarian who does homeopathic medicine for animals. So I'm now open to everything. And these things, you know, I would have laughed at a few years back. 
I'm just, I'm realizing things are a lot more complicated than they used to be. And the more I know, the more, the less I actually know. And, you know, it's very important to keep an open mind because when you think you know everything, you know absolutely nothing, you know? Um, I think one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was DMSO. I mean, honestly, forgive me again. You know, this only came onto my radar about a month ago, two months ago. And you, you seem to know a lot about this topic. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about it, the history behind it, and, and why is it such a wonderful thing? Yeah, wow. And just to speak to your, you know, your process and, and all those changes, it is, it is daunting. It's a lot. And a lot of um, doctors refuse to go through that process because of the work involved and the really inward facing that is required to mm. do that work and be very humble through it. And, uh, and the desire to learn, because sometimes you think, oh, I went to school, I learned the things, now I work. <laughs> yes. You know, and that continuing ed, continuing ed's just a class here and there. It's not like you're really into revamping ideas and, you know, um, unearthing paradigms and, you know, approaching exactly. things completely differently. It's, yeah. it's a lot to face, can be very overwhelming. Um, and I speak about it a lot as that cognitive dissonance sort of sensation comes up as like a protection mechanism because, mm. you know, your way of life is now threatened as you've experienced, right? Now you're, you've been taken out of your vocation because you think differently or you have other ideas that you would like to explore 100%. where you're faced with an indoctrinated community that refuses to have an open mind or at least be accepting of alternative viewpoints, even if they don't hold them, you know, true to themselves. Um, so that can be really quite something to have to face. And a lot of people, I think at this stage of things are facing um, many different topics completely differently. So it's, it's exciting, but I like that you said it was liberating because as much as it's daunting, there is still a reward to going through that and to, shifting things around because now you can come at it from a, in, in such a way that you could still help people, but you don't even know what that platform might look like, you know, totally yet, or where you could, you know, change what you're doing to serve better. And like, even with me, when things started going south with my own naturopathic board, because I saw that they were being infiltrated and I was speaking out against it, they wanted mm. me to shut up. <laughs> and so I was even marginalized within my own community um, because I knew that wow. they were degrading the medicine and that was part of, of the agenda. So, you know, it's, mm. it's, we face it even like, even you'd think a holistic practitioner wouldn't, but we do. I mean, and even when, when COVID happened, we're talking holistic yeah. practitioners, um, you know, people who are yoga instructors or people who are supposed to be holistically minded going for the jabs, you know, falling for the whole thing. And uh, that was really mm. eye opening because just when you think people know something or trust the body or trust nature, <laughs> then enough fear for them that programming clicks in and they just go off on yes. their own um, and listen to the false authority. Yeah. Yes. Um, but to answer your, your, your question on DMSO, you know, uh, I, mm. I learned a snippet of it 
in naturopathic college. It was almost just a bare mention in sports medicine because, you know, we'd take different classes on all these different types of specialities. Um, and mm-hmm. I wasn't really interested in sports medicine per se. I didn't really think much about it afterward. Just I knew there was a painkiller out there I could use at some point if I was, you know, managing pain, you know, in a patient, right? And Mm -hmm. that's all I knew about it. Okay, DMSO helps with pain. Great, awesome, cool, whatever. And then um, I had, I don't even remember the moment, but, oh yeah, I remember walking into a naturopathic, or sorry, a, um, a supplement store and seeing it on the shelf. And I went, that's interesting. There's that DMSO that was mentioned. I haven't seen it before. I should just buy it and have it. You know, Mm. because I have a store Mm. and what if somebody comes in and needs it? I should have like at least a bottle. Right. So that was my thinking. I was very, I'm very, um, (laughs) I have a marketing savvy mind. (laughs) I was like, if someone needs it, I should have it. You know, this kind of practicality anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I bought it, sat on my shelf, just sat on my shelf. I didn't even research it. I just like, I have it. I'm good. And then I got (laughs) a sort of a mite infestation. (laughs) I got like mites actually on my forearms. It's common in gardeners. Uh, when you're in oh, the wow. soil and those organisms, you know, they like your dead skin. So they're like on your skin. Right. And mm. uh, I got it from a, someone who came in with the same problem. I told him, oh, use diatomaceous earth. It'll dry them out. You know, here's all the natural remedies you can use. But then it wouldn't go away when I used those remedies. <laughs> and I was frustrated. And I thought, what's happened here? Um, and you know, my life is very strange. I usually have these situations because I have to like figure something out or else it won't resolve. And so the thing I had to figure out was to put DMSO on it. And I had this intense burning reaction because I put it on like 90%, which is quite a strong concentration, redness and thickening of skin and, and burning and the smell. And I'm like, what the hell is this substance? <laughs> like, this is outrageous. <laughs> I have to know more. And then I just started that's that was the moment of my life changing because I started researching it and I was mind blown at how much science had been done on this substance. I couldn't get over it. I, it was like an endless pit. I read the first fifty studies, and I was I, I and I and I got really rabbit hole on it. Like I was any other topic I wasn't interested in. It was just that I kind of mm. came out of that, and then I just click. I, I went on YouTube. And I just expressed myself. I was like, how the hell do we not know about this? After decades, how is this not a, even in our own realm of natural medicine, we don't know like this. Do you know what, do you know what I'm thinking right Mm -hmm. now, listening to you and listening to the passion? Yeah. Oh my God. it's, It's so funny. I'm having a very similar moment. I'm thinking, why the hell was I not taught about this in med school? I never had any lectures on this. I don't know what the hell, you know, why was I not taught any of this? Just listening to you now, I'm just thinking, what the oh, heck, yeah. man? I know. We should at least know something about it if it's like been around since the late 1800s. And anyway, of course, it was shelved. And then in the 1950s, Dr. Stanley Jacob was the pioneer who really got it going because he was doing organ transplant research and he needed a substance that would make sure the integrity of the organs under cold wouldn't have degradation and obviously crystallization of the cells, which would damage them and render the organ, you know, unusable. And so Mm. he was looking for all he was, that was his gig. 
And then the someone in the UK who had unearthed the DMSO off the shelf, dusted it off, I guess, um, said, you know, this seems to have potential for um, cell, you know, support. Why don't you play around with it? And then he got into it and it had a whole lab open up. And, and at the time, this is like between, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s. Now we're coming into the 70s. And it was then released and sort of prematurely and on the tails of the thalidomide disaster. So the timing of the expression of what DMSO really was, dimethyl sulfoxide coming from trees, it's a natural substance, even though they can manufacture a synthetic version in the lab. That one's called RIMZO50, which is like way expensive, of course, but real DMSO from trees is cheap as dirt. And so the they then came out publicly, but it actually was leaked. The information was mm-hmm. leaked. So it came out like almost this... Um, this headline, you know, sort of behavior, like miracle drug saves lives, like this kind of thing. And it freaked out the FDA <clears> because <throat> the FDA was now reeling from the thalidomide, you know, fallback or, yeah. or blowback. And um, so they're like, you know what? We can't do this right now. We can't do DMSO right now. Nobody trusts what we're saying right now. <laughs> so we, we're going to park it. We have to. But that was the excuse, ultimately. The real um, underlying factions, there's a, actually a really great book about the whole story of how this all happened called The Persecution of a DMSO. And it's, it, it reads like a, like a spy novel, <laughs> but it's like insane, dark people that were trying to suppress that from coming out because they had their antibiotics, the money making was going with all of their s- different drugs. And this... DMSO canceled out so many, the need for so many other drugs, right? So it was a huge competitor and they ended up taking all his lab equipment and the classic, you know, raid where they take, they shut him down and tell him to stop. And then he had to kind of do all these other things to try to get the lab going again. And he finally did. And now you can actually look him up, Stanley Jacob Labs. He just died a few years ago, actually. Um, But they had conferences. I actually have, I, I, I have a little show and tell here. Um, this mm. is the, um, this book is from the annals of, um, what's it called? The annals of New York Academy of Sciences. This was, uh, biological actions of dimethyl sulfoxide. And this was an actual conference that happened. And this is the summary of the conference. And my poor book is falling apart. It's so old. It's <laughs> like from 1967. <laughs> so I do have to get it glued back together, but I studied it so much <laughs> when I wrote my book because, because it's all it's all the original from every country. So it wasn't, it, they all came together from all the countries. They'd all been studying it and they all came together, said, this is what we found about DMSO. And um, it's just a, such a versatile substance. Um, and Stanley Jacob, you know, really was able to forward the organ transplant knowledge and therapies and stuff because of using it. And they use it everywhere in the labs. It's, it's a perfect solvent and it doesn't distort your materials. How, how what thing does that? No thing does that. <laughs> you put it even in alcohol, it's going to denature it or, yes. you know, affect saturation or whatever, right? And you can't get it back to the perfect pristine original that it was in, but you can with DMSO because it has a very different relation, a very special relationship with water. Actually, it's molar to molar in its exchanges, not volume to volume, which is very, it's a very different behavior than, uh, you know, just flooding the body with a specific substance. 
and it has affinity, different affinities for different um, tissues as well, like the cornea um, and the skin. So it's really um, a powerful so anti-inflammatory it- painkiller, you know. So I was going to say, how does, how does it actually what? work? How do, do, you, do you know of any mechanisms of action? Do we, do we know anything about that or do we just know it works? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I said. It's so well studied. It's ridiculous. Like this whole book is all about me- mechanisms of action. And you can just search for all sorts. Now, I would say for anyone who wants to do research on DMSO, mm-hmm. to be careful of in vitro, the in vitro studies, because um, what you need all the organ systems and the interactions of the body in order to really understand from A to Z how everything processes. So say you have a cell, you add DMSO to the cell, you can understand, you know, some of it, but um, it's a detoxifier. So if it's cleansing something out, what it can look like is um, actually a toxicity, right? Because it's moving and binding to toxins in order to get them out of the cell and move them to the liver and get rid of them. But if you just have it in a Petri dish, they're not, there's nowhere for those toxins to go. So some yes. bad studies will say that it's, to- that it's actually toxic um, to the cells. But that you have to look at in vivo studies and it will tell you all you need to know about the biological actions and the safety you know, of it. But it so, does have, um, like, even under liquid nitrogen, even mm-hmm. under liquid nitrogen, mm-hmm. DMSO will protect cell, cells in culture during that storage, which is pretty phenomenal. Oh, wow. So, so my friend, shout out, Nat Bradbury, has given me a bottle of this DMSO. She said, look, if you injure your wrist or anything, just spray some of it and rub it in and it'll help. Can you just expand my knowledge a little bit? I will do the homework, I promise. But like, what, what, what do we use it for? Is it for arthritis? Is it for injuries? Is it What other applications can we use it for? What other conditions? Well, because it has <clears throat> such a wide berth of biological activity, you can almost use it for any disease state and it will assist because it's going to increase blood flow it's going to, um, it does affect clotting time. So I guess one of the main contraindications would be you don't really use it on anything in an active bleed. Um, it can get rid of blood clots or blood clot problems. So, you know, people are having this from the shots. So DMSO can help cleanse those blood clots and get the mechanisms back in order and purge those uh, wastes. It's found in every tissue of the skin within about 10 to 15 minutes of taking it. So you can find it in the brain. It passes the blood-brain barrier and in literally every tissue. And by 24 hours, it's finished. It's finished its processes out of the body. And uh, so I make like eye drops, for example, that heal cataracts, uh, support uh, the the total body healing of glaucoma, Um, even retinitis pigmentosa, retinitis, yeah all of the issues of the retina, even eyesight, people will have their eyesight corrected by its use. If you have something that opens blood flow to an area, you have a huge opportunity to heal quickly. Um, yes. This is also a, a part and parcel the the inflammation being dropped away because you don't need the inflammatory mechanisms if you have better blood flow because the whole point of the inflammation cycle is to open up and make things percolate so that the materials can get in and the, and the waste can get out, right? But if now you have a waste grabber, which DMSO is, because it's, it's like a chelator type, and then you have yeah. an opener, 
of, you know, increase of NO, uh, nitri- nitric oxide, you have an increase of blood flow to an area, you're working that faster. You don't need the inflammatory mechanisms there anymore. Um, you don't even need the bacterial cycles there so much anymore who are also there to scavenge and eat waste and get rid of them. So you can really uh, prevent a lot of issues if you get on top of it, you know, ahead of time. Same thing with radiation poisoning. If you take DMSO, you have it, every, take it every day, it prevents DNA breakage radiation damage. So if someone's going for an x-ray or CT scanner or whatever, any of these things, or just going to an airport <laughs> or just these days, just walking down the street, um, you know, you can prime your body with the DMSO to prevent the damage. It doesn't do as great of a job as uh, healing the damage from radiation, but prevention is it's very key for that. Um, you can use it for skincare. I actually blend DMSO with my skincare for wrinkles and anti-aging and gets rid of scars, you know, because it's, it's increasing circulation, but also it's a deliverer. So it's transdermal, which means it'll take something of small molecular weight in with it and deliver it and deposit it into the underlying tissues. So you can really build up collagen like that, for example. It has a really interesting relationship with collagen uh, where it helps to lay it down in a nice pattern rather than, you know, a chaotic p- pattern that it might be found in. So yes. it'll actually restructure collagen. You know, it prevents heart attacks and strokes. That's its biggest thing. That was the thing I was like, I couldn't believe that we have something for ischemic heart attack and any type or ischemic stroke and a heart attack. We aren't using this. Like, (laughs) this is insane to me. Even if you're on your way to the hospital or the, the, you know, you're going by ambulance, start applying the DMSO right away and you can prevent all the secondary problems. Like, you know, you can get fr- out, prevent yourself from getting into a wheelchair post-stroke. I mean, that's a big deal. Um, right, okay. So we, I need just to, as an I need emergency to medicine. Yeah. I need to interject yeah. because I need to know. So what's the best way to then take it? You talked about eye drops. My, my friend has given me a spray to put on my skin. Is this something you take in a tablet or ingest or is it topical? How, how, how does it work? Well, DMSO is in liquid form. So uh, you do use it as a transdermal agent, topically, generally speaking, or you take it internally with a proper dilution. So in my book, I have a proper dilution chart for all the different ways to dilute it and why and where you would use it because it is very strong and you don't want to make a mistake. You don't really don't want to put, you know, a really strong solution in the eye um, or ingest it too strongly because it might cause localized temporary inflammation and you don't want that. Um, mm. so learning about, and also it can blend, if you blend it with something toxic, it can take that in too. So you have to have clean skin and those basic, um, bits of knowledge of how to use it properly. But, uh, really it's just ingestion and topical. You can do IV and you can also do injectables. Um, there are some clinics that do DMSO IV and some people at home that have arthritis will do the injectables. So they'll do like a 20, 30 or 40% injectable into the muscle area to, you know, ex- you know, dis- disseminate a little bit deeper into tissues. But my topically is just, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, my mom's coming to visit me tomorrow. She's Go got ahead. a really arthritic spine. I'm going to spray some of this in her back and rub it in for her. I'm going to do it. I'm going to order your book. Yeah. Yeah. And I make like a 50% DMSO solution with magnesium oil. And that's a really nice combo. 
because uh, you do increase glutathione production with DMSO and its cousin MSM sulfur, which more people are more familiar with generally. That's DMSO2. So it has two oxygens instead of one oxygen, and it's in a crystalline format in its uh, natural state. And But it will help build up muscle tissue and heal the gut and these sorts of things. It has different affinities. But the, the spray... You're getting like both together, so you're getting maximum absorption of the magnesium, which is vital for any type of liver function because that's the catalyst for those enzyme reactions. And if you're low on that, it means you're sluggish, right? You won't process mm. fast. And then you mm. can get back up and then have a detox reaction where you feel like crap, right? So especially in arthritis cases where you have deposition of calcification in the joints and other debris, and you start moving it with DMSO, you just want to ideally bring the magnesium levels up with it so that the person still feels good. They're pain-free <laughs> or their pain's diminishing, but then they're not having secondary issues of circulation of wastes. They're able to actually uh, metabolize them properly. You know, when I'm listening to you speak, um, uh, the thing that's going through my head is, why don't doctors like me know about this? Why is it not more used more widely? I can only think of two answers. One, because it doesn't work. And this is all just anecdotal. I'm not saying you're lying, but it's just, it's just hocus pocus. Two, there's no money in it. And big pharma and, you know, big medicine doesn't profit by using it because it's too cheap and too easily available. Is there any other reason why yeah. doctors and, 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 you know, aren't using it and people like me don't, aren't aware of it and we're not taught about it in med school? Yeah. And you just touched on what the, you know, there was a 60 minutes episode with Dr. Stanley J Jacob. You can go ahead and find on YouTube. It's short and sweet and gets you kind of the idea of the time. Uh, yeah. And that was exactly what he said. He said, it's not known because they can't make money on it. They can't patent it the way they want. So there's no, they're not going to use it. And in fact, quite the opposite, they're going to suppress it because they don't want it to compete with their other, you know, their other drugs. Um, and that's, that's why we don't there know it go. or have it. See, I knew it. I knew it. That's the only logical reason. That's the only logical reason why, mm -hmm. because it all comes down to that, doesn't it, Amanda? It all comes down to money. Can you control something? Yep. Can you control the individual? Can you control the organism? Can you control the, the food? Can you, can you patent it? Can you license it? Can you package it? Can you profit from it? Can you label it? I mean, that, it, I, that just seems to where we're going. And now it's like, we need to, you know, we need to even have total control over DNA, every living organism. That's what um, they just want now, money from everything. I, I've come to the conclusion that we are now farmed like, like you know, cattle. We're, our, we're, we're, you know, we're just a source of profit. Our ill health and misery is a source of profit for these other people. Oh, mm -hmm. man. Um, is there anything else about yeah. DMSO that I need to know? I'm going to get your book, by the way. I don't know if I told you that. I'm going to get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that book was quite a labor of love because I got really geeky when I wrote it and it was like <laughs> double the size and it was just, it was all in the scientific jargon. And I thought I was producing a scientifically, you know, stable book with four doctors and these type, that was, I thought my audience was when I wrote it originally. And then the publisher came back and said, mm -mm, no, this is supposed to be an easy to read guide for like the everyday Joe. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I had to go back and actually rewrite the entire language in easy to read format. And then the lawyers were like, you can't say this, you can't say that, you can't do that. So that was where half the book got pulled out. Um, 
But through that process, I learned so much about explaining things in a way that, you know, I under, can understand it from the, the scientific side, but then explain it to the layperson so that they can functionally understand it and they're not afraid because a lot of people are afraid of substances that have intensity or potential intensity. And this one does. And, you know, it's opening the skin barrier in three different ways, which there's no other substance that we know that will do that. I mean, it might open it one way or two ways, but not three different ways. And in the relationship with water is so unique in the way that it uses water to transfer and, and like a paddle through the body and boat itself through all these different places. Um, I would guess that I would say the only caveat is the odor because it's a sulfur based compound is that if you're using it in higher doses or you're using it orally, then you could get the breath, the oyster breath or the garlic breath that uh, some people get really put off about. So I usually suggest a little bit of a spray of hydrogen peroxide in the mouth a few times to just cleanse out some of the <laughs> um, off-gassing so you don't offend your friends and family and loved ones. Um, Charming. <laughs> Charming. But yeah, it's it's like, I think in the book it said, God made like the perfect molecule except for that. <laughs> <laughs> except for that one that one aspect so it's 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 its side effect if you will um but the potential for it is what excites me because i've actually been tincturing with it i've been using it as an extraction media medium for herbal medicine and i don't really mm. know much anyone else who's been formulating the way I've been doing so with blends and extracts. Like I have one that's a clove extract that the DMSO has extracted the clove medicine, you know, in it. And that's applied for say dental um, issues. So nerve pain or inflammation of the gum um, and even helpful for like fungal, you know, if you have toenails that have the fungal issue, you know, yes. you can use the clove and DMSO to like penetrate you oh. get rid of fungal issues. Um, so it really has a what you can even nebulize it. So if you have lung concerns, you can nebulize DMSO and it will help the alveoli get blood flow to them and help reduce mucus uh, production because it's an anti-inflammatory. So, I mean, you're using it. It's, it's actually an NSAID. It's actually better than an, the NSAIDs we have <laughs> without the kidney damage. <laughs> so it's, it really is versatile. And I mean, I literally could write multiple books on it going forward because there's just can, so much data and really and, cool stuff to learn. I mean, about. I'm just yeah. so ignorant. I, I don't know what dose to get. I wouldn't know where to buy it from. I wouldn't know how to dilute it. And I, I need to do all this research. And you know, when you know, you know, and it's easy, but you know, when you don't know, even the easiest thing just sounds like an insurmountable mountain. Um, but yeah, well, I'll look into it. That's why I wrote the book. <clears throat> I wrote the book because it's all there. It's like, it's a, it's an easy guide. It's like, okay, now I know. I know how to use it. I know how to di dilute it. I know the possible risks. You know, I know what the applications are for. I have recipes in there so people can make their own recipes at home. They can make their own eye drops at home. You know, awesome. so it's actually, once you get over that, you're good. You, you'll, you'll know how to use it without really even having to do even more research okay, than that. Okay. Important, important question. I had the goddamn worst cold sore ever recently can i treat that with it mm -hmm. absolutely yep it's really great for shingles herpes all of those things which are really just wastes that get into the nerve body and the nerve body wants to get rid of it say it's a piece of metal like a little bit of aluminum from something you ate right gets in the nerve body it has to open up it wants to push it out physically the body 
it's too volatile to send it through the roots of elimination through the liver. So it's got to come out through the skin. And so what you do with the DMSO, it kills the pain and heals it over fast, but it chelates and grabs that out. So Mm. I've had a lot of um, shingles shingles cases, which obviously is very painful. And I have them use the DMSO on repeat until everything is just drained out of them. And they never get shingles again. They never get herpes again. It's it's healed. It's done. It's not a like, oh, you have it and it's recurring. So I could, so it's I could over once that, you cleanse the tissue. So I could wash my face and just spray a tiny bit of my finger and rub it around the area where I normally get the cold sore. Correct. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do that. Jeez. I'd Louise. use probably like a, I, I would do like a 50%, start with a 50% solution, maybe in some aloe vera or just pure distilled water. And you could even go as high as I would say 80%. For that area so just always start a test patch always start slow and work up to your dose um and uh and just apply yeah, it with just your apply finger spot treat. or use something to apply how would you apply yeah, it? it'll go through your hand but it's not a big deal i mean um dr jacob would use uh natural uh bristle brushes from like horsetail you know Mm. Uh, or he would use uh, pure cotton, pure cotton. He would have like a little stick he would make if you, for people to get it on their backs, you know, like, so you dip it in the cotton and you put it on if you don't want to touch it with your hands. But I just go for it, especially that little amount. Got it. This is amazing. This is amazing. Amanda, you're amazing. This is what I mean. I love having these conversations with people. I mean, a few years back, I would never have had a conversation like this, you know. Um, now, now I'm just learning so much and I love it. I love it. You know, I'm like a little kid in a candy shop. Every now that, I, you know, I would go and go, what's that? What's that? What's that? Although I wouldn't go in a candy shop now. I don't believe in that stuff. Garbage. Anyway. No. <laughs> <laughs> Figuratively speaking, I wasn't actually mean literally. You know, I don't do that kind of stuff. Um, so tell me, you know, you clearly take care of yourself and your health. You know, what would be like your, let's give it five, five top tips to the listeners. like. What would be the top five top ways that you would say to people, look after your health and optimize your, your well-being? Yeah, there's, there, I could literally do like a top 100, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Next time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's so many things. That's why. And that's, what, that's the good news, right? Mm. Because there are many different ways you can regain your health. There is, are many, there are many avenues that you could take. I would say um, just basic free things, you know, free, free things that people don't do is go to bed at nine or nine thirty PM. Do not yes. stay up until 1am, 2am get, because it throws off your circadian rhythm mm. and that's a big deal. People underestimate what that means, but it mm. really means that you're, brain during the hours of between nine and one o'clock do not cleanse they Mm. don't detox that's the cleansing time for the brain so if you're not if you're going to bed one o'clock in the morning forget your brain cleansing you'll get a little bit of your rem sleep later right so you're packing some of the um, experiences away but you're not getting restorative sleep so that's a simple thing ultimately that people can work toward Mm -hmm. um Getting their liquids that they drink right, <laughs> like the, the the types of drinking of weird stuff, it just blows my mind. Like these Gatorades <laughs> and these power drinks and this, and even the coffee. Yeah. I mean, we're just literally poisoning ourselves with all of these beverages. Like 
drink pure structured water and really connect with the water and understand that water has more than we realize. It has consciousness, it has awareness, it has memory. You know, you can program your water in ways that will help you heal. And the, the water will hold that frequency. We've done studies. We've seen this. And no, so no, just hold really on, hold getting on, a little more clear. Hold yeah. on. What, what do you mean mm -hmm. structured water? And, and how can we make it with the best frequency? Well, there's multiple ways you can structure it. But really, it's a hexagonal um, H3O2 that you're trying to help the water get into that shape rather than H2O where the, you know, they're just bouncing around. And that is called easy water or the fourth phase of water. If you study Gerald Pollock's work. I've heard or, of that. Yes. Um, I know about that. Right. Or, or Dr. Ling, um, you know, he, Gilbert Ling, he went into a lot of the fourth phase of water and that it's pure and it is electrical. So it allows in our cells for like a battery to function basically yes. so you have your bulk water situated next to the easy water right so now you have you've made a little negative positive zone and now you have a battery and so we need to flush and cleanse the tissues all the time with pure water and so if you're just drinking tap water full of fluoride and chlorine and bromine and somebody else's birth control pills and whatever else you know that's not <laughs> going to do it for you okay oh no so you really oh, need no. to <laughs> you don't need man boobs. You don't need moobs. Okay. You need no. to not drink the water. <laughs> no one no needs way. that. No one needs that. No. So like that, getting your water right and really thinking about the water that you're drinking and to stop drinking coffee. Stop it. Just stop no. it. It's the drink stop of it. slaves. No, you don't must. say that. You must. I, I have to stop coffee. I know. I know. I'm sorry. Really? You know what? If you really want to learn, if you want to learn about the brain and the body, I challenge you to do that as an experiment on yourself. Because after about three right weeks now. to a I month of... <laughs> I cry right now. I've got tears welling up in my eyes. <laughs> I can tell you that my life only improved by stopping it. Now, I know I'm not talking about the emotional stuff with it and the smell, all the stuff that... We have memories and connections, okay, and social stuff. And okay, just put that aside for a second. I'm just talking about the physiological effects of drinking the coffee right in the morning and what it does to the brain, which is basically cut off blood flow about to half. Okay. So that is not, and also kicks your adrenals into that cortisol state we were talking about. And so here mm. you are drinking like a cup of stress, like a cup of stress, literally. Oh, my cup of stress in the morning, you know? And why do you feel alert? Well, because you're in fight or flight mode, literally, and you will burn your adrenals out doing that, but you really compromise proper blood flow and you affect the nervous system in a way that is considered like a toxic manner. And so what happens is you're, you're not able to sleep well at night also, it affects sleep. One of the things when I quit coffee, my sleep improved like you would, I couldn't believe it. I finally got that nice all the way through the night sleep that I always want, you know, instead of waking a couple times a night so, or whatever. Okay. And it was just cutting out the coffee. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Let's do this experiment. Yeah. How long do I need to stop coffee for? Okay. Here's what you need to do. Don't go just cold turkey because you'll get the stupid headache and you'll feel like shit for two or three days. No, just slowly start reducing your levels each day and maybe have a little like, you know, see you later coffee. Thanks for the love. And I appreciate you. <laughs> 
I'll see you again at some time, but you know, like to have a little appreciation rituals, you like, you know, phase it out. So don't cut cold turkey. Try to do it slowly. I'm gonna Find cry another tonight. morning beverage that no, you aren't. You're going to be like, this is cool. This is cool shit because I'm going to have a new beverage morning routine that is completely different. And like I use something called Inca, which is a dandelion chicory base of my morning beverage. Okay. So I still have my mugga, my nice mug, my warm thing, my moment to really settle in and think about my day. And like, cause people long for that type of ritual for themselves to set their day. So you can still do it with a different beverage, just not that one. Um, And then once you give it about three or four weeks, but note your progress, maybe have a little, you know, I quit coffee book and just say, you know what? My, I I thought that I was going to be constipated because the morning coffee gets me going. But actually, if I just drink some water in the morning, it's the same thing or lemon water in the morning. I mean, if you switch those two lemon water, Versus that, you have a whole different liver system going on there. You are just way ahead of the game on health when you do that. So just test yourself for about three weeks, four weeks, and see how you feel. It's going to happen. You can do it. Come on. Do you know what I hate? You're going to be the experimenter. You're not the first person to say stop coffee. So, damn it. If it's a theme, you got to listen. Yeah. I need to. I need. Okay. You know what? That's God talking through people to you. Yeah, That's I'm not going to lie. You're like the third person now. I can't ignore it. Okay, fine. I'm still going to have a little cry. So, okay, fine. I'll start winding okay. down. And in about five days time, real men cry, by the way. And in about five days time, I'll stop. And then of we'll course. start seeing. Um, I do have problems sleeping. I, I wake up once or twice at night. I, I just put it down to my tiny bladder. I do find that as soon as I drink, I need to pee. Again, I put it down to my tiny bladder. Okay, fine. You Okay, you've got me on the coffee. What else? Okay, so <laughs> you did that really well. You handled it quite well. Um, <laughs> then I would say <laughs> to really just take a look at your diet. You don't have to do radical changes. You just have to look. <clears throat> what are you eating on a day-to-day basis? What does it kind of look like for you? Is it still full of fast food? Is it still full of like seed oils and too much carbs and too much snacking. Do you know one of the ways you can prevent diabetes is to not snack? Seriously, like just eat a good breakfast, maybe a small lunch. You don't even need that much food, but okay, a small lunch. If you're really working out hard and working hard, you need a little more food, good lunch, and then your dinner. And that's it. And quit the snacking because when you eat, you have glucose coming in. And then of course you have to manufacture insulin. And so then the insulin's high to deal with the glucose, take it into the cell, give the energy and nutrients and love to the cells that they need, right? And everything drops away and everything normalizes. But then when you eat again, it goes up, right? And then this Mm. process happens again and it normalizes. Well, guess what? If you Mm. eat and then your insulin's on the low going down, but then you eat again, Mm. it's pushed back up again, and then you eat again, and then Mm. you eat again. You continue this high insulin level throughout the body and it will stop regulating itself. It will not go back down at that point. Even if you stop eating, it will not go back down. And then you're moving into inflammatory problems, pancreatic abuse. Now you're getting into not just resistance, but full on, you know, diabetes metabolic problem. So just by watching what you're eating and not snacking all day, um, you're going to change the way your digestion gets to rest. 
even if you f- do intermittent fasting, that's what I like to do. I'll, I'll intermittent fast in the morning. I won't eat until I feel that real hunger come, which is usually around 11, 12 o'clock. And I'll eat my first meal. And then I don't eat again until probably around five o'clock. And that's it. That's my last meal. I might snack a little if I have to work late, you know, uh, writing or something like that. If I get, you know, a piece of fruit or something, but that's what you need for your day. And not this heavy, these big meals of, wow, <laughs> what I see people eating is shocking. So you don't have to, I'm saying, you don't have to change everything overnight, but really consider how, mm. how where is the nutrients, where are the nutrients coming in? Are you digesting well? You know, maybe you need something to help you digest. I usually suggest if something mm. you eat gives you an inflammatory response like gas or bloating, you don't eat that food. That's not a food for you. Right. And always eat fruit first and then your heavier food. Don't eat heavy meals with meat and carbs or whatever, and then put fruit on top, which is a very quick metabolizer because you'll ferment the food and you'll create bloating and gas. So don't, Mm. don't put the fruit on top of a heavy meal. So that's like a simple tip you can use. So look at your food, decide what you know is bad for you and make the decision to switch it out for something healthy. Just even a couple things, because it's these little things that add up that make a huge difference over the long term. Yeah, you can have a treat, as they call it now and again. And what's treats? Treats are poison, but whatever. You can have your poison every now and again. <laughs> I right? say that. Usually, usually, well, it's like, I deserve it. I'm a good girl or boy. I can have a treat now, but what is the retreat? The, the treat is generally something that's going to hurt you. It's just so warped. How do you deserve pain now? Right? Like, no, if your, your treat should be, I'm going to go walk to the beach and like ground myself and like lay in the sun and give, you know, give it's, thanks for my existence. You know, that would be like a treat. <laughs> you know what? I absolutely, you know, I listen on the, when I'm at the school gates and I hear other parents go, okay, let's go to McDonald's. You know, you guys can have a treat. I'm just thinking exactly what you just said. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. You love your kids so much. You're going to go and poison them for a treat. That's nice. I obviously don't say that yes. to the parents' face. I'm, I'm, I'm unpopular as, enough as that it is. That would go well. Yeah, well, I'm yeah. unpopular enough as just... it is. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't want people to actually hiss when I pass by now. You know, it's like, there's degrees yeah, to which I made can a be. mistake in my, I know, I made a mistake doing, I've made mistakes like that before. And I, but I'm well into my, my intention is well, you know, I really just want everyone to be well. Mm. That's my, all my, like I have this altruistic problem, right? And altruistic people are not, are not loved. They aren't actually. People think that those who are really altruistic are cared for, but no, altruistic people are always trying to improve themselves and try to do the right thing when, and then other, another person who might not be doing that looks at an altruistic person, they judge them or mm. they assume that they are being judged. And so then they, they get on the, on the um, offensive and they start mm. judging back. And so usually you get marginalized when you're, when you're altruistic. So, you know, whatever, it's my path. It's funny. Care, but, no, um, you're right. But it I reminds did, me, if yeah. someone said to me, yeah. um, it doesn't, it, it really doesn't pay to be, you know, someone speaking the truth and trying to help because you get burnt on the downside and you get burnt on the upside. <laughs> there is no, there's no, there's no reward. There's no reward for, you know, trying to help and do the right thing. But, you know, we, we're not well, doing the reward, it. The reward is your soul. <laughs> the reward yeah. is, is, is for later. Yeah. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. There's still rewards. It's just not, it's, yeah, it's just, I know, I know it's, it, it can be very uh, distressing. And a lot of people who do this, 
burn out or, you know, don't do well mentally or emotionally, you know, because of that. And so we have to do self-care, have self-care in place all the time. Self-care is good. Um, yeah. And that's where I say to, yeah, well, you know, another tip for people is to have a practice where they are self-reflecting somewhere in their day. You know, because so many people, when they get home from work or whatever they're doing, they just switch on the television. So I just challenge everyone to try to do TV, no TV for one week. Okay. No mm. shows, none of that stuff. Just have like a holiday from it. Right. And see what happens to you, where your creativity comes and what your thought forms are and like what has changed. Like do these little mini experiments with yourself in when you're in like a habitual routine. Like question, is that really healthy for, for you? When do you get to sit and contemplate and think about your life and think about what your goals and needs and things? I actually, I actually created a course on yummy.doctor, my website. The very first course that I recommend everyone do before they take any other course is to get clear with themselves. What are you after? Why, why are you even questioning about your, your condition of where you're at, your vitality right now? What is it about your vitality that you want to change? Do you want to cleanse? Do you want, like, what are you after? What is your goal? Did you even mm. really consider it? Who is it going to affect? You know, what's just people don't take the time for contemplation, for meditation, for moments just to be still and not be stimulated all the time. And so getting into a good practice is so, it just, brings your happiness level up such a remarkable way. And because joy are those little moments in between the tasks when you just have a bare witness to your existence and like can realize something beautiful in that moment. It doesn't have to be this big thing. It doesn't have to be joy's going to McDonald's or joy's going to like on a trip to Bahamas or something, even though that can be very fun. But you know what I'm saying? It's like you can bring joy into your life with these little in-between moments that you but you have to be aware in the now. You have to be conscious in that moment to have the joy, or otherwise you don't get it. So if you practice yeah. those contemplations and those moments of quiet, a quietude, it can really benefit your mental, emotional health and bring more, you know, joy into your life. So that's another tip. Beautiful. 100%. I agree with that. Listen, I've got two questions for you. Number one, will you come back in January and give me your top 25 tips? Not these ones. You've already done them. Top, top 20. 20. <laughs> Is that a That's yes a or a no? That's a good one. I could do uh, that. Yes. Woohoo. Okay. Well, yeah. Hey, yeah. Confirm. If I, if yeah. you have, you have to talk to Fabian first because he's the schedule guy. So he'll tell you what's available. But All yes, right. awesome. I will. Awesome. Absolutely. Okay. Amazing. Second question. Second question. You have reached the grand old age of 173. You've lived a long, healthy life. You're surrounded by all your children, your great-grandchildren, all that kind of jazz. And you're on your deathbed, very comfortable, and you're going to be meeting your maker soon. Before you part, and before you depart this world, what advice, health or otherwise, would you give? That was a deep sigh. Deep breath. Oh, yeah. There's so many. There's so much there. It, like, immediately brings tears to my eyes. So I'm just like, whew. Um, I would yeah. say that... Every moment is precious. Every breath is precious. So yeah. not to squander the preciousness. We've come here for the experience, the illusion in a sense, but the experience of preciousness and the experience of forgetting who we are. We already are perfect. Everything is already done good. There's nothing wrong. Nothing is wrong. 
everything just is. And so you don't really need to fix anything and you don't need to toil in this life unnecessarily. You just need to remember that this is a beautiful, flowing, temporary experience that you're meant to gain from, to expand from, and to be witness for the divine. And that everything you can else you can outbreath as as the outbreath comes, the last outbreath through death is the true letting go. But the most that you can live is through this letting go process as you continue to not grasp for life and cling to things that will never serve you. The more you can do that, the happier, the lighter you'll be, and the more gifts that will come in your experience. So I would, that would be along the lines of what I would say. Amanda, beautiful. Beautiful. What a lovely uh, note to end on. Thank you so much. You've been just wonderful to talk to. Can't wait to speak to you again, honestly. And um, I will share all your links and website, book, all that kind of stuff on, on the website. So thank you so much. Everyone listening, um, this was Amanda D. Vollmer. Um, thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget, follow me, subscribe, and um, support my show because God knows when I can go back to work, if ever. Everyone, thank you so much and good night. Amanda, that was amazing. Thank you so much.